0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, September 14th, and we are still here at the National Conservative Conference in beautiful sunny Miami, Florida. We have the opportunity to sit down with Amber Athey. Athey is a phenomenal cultural writer. She works for The Spectator, but she also has a weird little story. Now, back in the day, she worked for a radio station in Washington, D.C. called WMAL. She made a joke about Vice President Kamala Harris that the radio station took an issue with. It was a very benign joke, totally unproblematic, and yet she was still canceled by the woke mob. So we had the chance to sit down with Athey, talk about that experience and cancel culture as a whole, and maybe how conservatives can start to push back. Enjoy the show right after this. For over 35 years... The Heritage Foundation Job Bank has been helping conservatives at all professional levels find employment in key positions in Washington, D.C. and across the country. We can help connect you with positions in the administration, on Capitol Hill, in public policy organizations, and in the private sector. To learn more about the Heritage Foundation Job Bank, go to heritage.org job bank. My guest today is Amber Athey, Washington editor at The Spectator, senior fellow at the Steamboat Institute, and host of the Unfit to Print podcast. Amber, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. But I think one of the things that I really like about you is you are so outspoken about the woke mob and things like cancel culture. And you were actually a victim of cancel culture relatively recently. Would you mind sort of explaining your story, what happened, what happened, and like kind of where you came from
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a co-host on a morning radio show in D.C. on WMAL, which is a conservative radio station alongside Larry O'Connor and um, several women. I was on two days a week, so this was a part-time gig. Um, I was on there for six months, and then during the State of the Union address, I decided to mock Vice President Kamala Harris's outfit, which a lot of people were doing because Mm -hmm. it was just objectively not a good outfit. Um, For people who haven't seen it or maybe don't remember, it was that sort of drab brown pantsuit or skirt suit where she was blending into the leather chair behind her. And my crack was that she looked like a UPS employee. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're too young to know, I think most people listening to this probably know that the UPS slogan until about 5 to 10 years ago was what can Brown do for you? Right. So I said, what can Brown do for you? Nothing good apparently because obviously Kamala Harris is pretty incompetent. Um, This joke was fine for a few days. Nobody seemed troubled by it because they all understood what the point of it was, but after I got into a debate on Twitter with some pro-child genital mutilation people, like the pro-trans lobby, yep. they decided that I needed to be canceled because I don't believe that children should be allowed to undergo surgeries or hormone therapy to try to change their gender. Um, I needed to, to, to be removed from the public square. So they went back into my Twitter, started looking for some reason to cancel me, found the Kamala tweet and decided to completely reframe it as to being about her race. Mm. Which I think says a lot more about them than it does about me, because what kind of person thinks that only black people can be UPS employees? That's kind of uh, racist, I think. Right. But anyway, they started sending emails to my employers and... Um, The Spectator, the Steamboat Institute, both laughed the entire thing off because, of course, they thought it was ridiculous. But shockingly, WMAL, and more specifically its parent company, Cumulus Media, received a few emails, uh, called me up about a day or two later, and told me that I was fired uh, effective immediately I didn't even get a chance to defend myself. I didn't get to explain the tweet. They just told me, your tweet was racist. We don't condone racism. You're out, goodbye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy that that happens because the left routinely says vile things about conservatives with seemingly no consequences. And I guess one of the things that I always find so strange is that There's no concerted response from conservatives other than to sort of call it out and just say, hey, that's weird. The left never faces the consequences. So what should conservatives do? How should we respond to this?
1: Yeah, I know that this is probably controversial, but I feel like if all of the cultural signals are that employers and society respond to cancellation attempts, then I don't see any reason why conservatives shouldn't try to wield that same power. Mm. Because if you're talking about preventing people from making a living, people have actually been debanked. banked um, For example, the truckers in Canada were not allowed to raise money for their legal efforts mm. because their fundraiser was removed from GoFundMe. People are being removed from social media. They're losing... F- friends, family members being basically unable to participate in society, I don't think it's too far for conservatives to do the same thing back and show them this is the logical conclusion of the societal uh, culture that you've created. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, recently there was this professor from Carnegie Mellon University who, after the death of Queen Elizabeth II, decided to say that she hoped that her death was incredibly painful Mm -hmm. and that she suffered... Because she was uh, uh, complicit in colonization, which besides the fact that it's not even true, she actually uh, had a great hand in in, uh, allowing a lot of these colonies to become independent. Mm -hmm. What kind of sick person wishes death on, uh, you know, a a beloved uh, matriarch person who has been a, a force of stability in England for, you know, 70 years? So people were complaining about it on twitter and posting screenshots and replying to her and i just sent an email to the school Mm -hmm. like why are conservatives so afraid to let the people who employ these miserable awful people know about their behavior Mm -hmm. outside of those institutions and you're right that they still don't face the consequences even when we do that um this professor received a condemnation from the university, but no disciplinary action. Mm -hmm. But I think, eventually, if conservatives actually do this in a concerted way and in a group effort, it will start to have an effect Mm -hmm. on the left.
0: Sure. Have we seen any instances where that has happened, where we have successfully been able to, for lack of a better term, cancel somebody on the left? behavior that they've done against the right?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's been a couple. Um, Sarah Jong at the New York Times was supposed to be an editorial board member, and they kind of quietly had her leave the editorial board after this happened, so a lot of conservatives I think didn't even realize that they mm. were had a hand in this. But she had this series of anti-white, anti-police, really gross tweets, and um, conservatives did the thing, they did the cancel culture (laughs) and they tweeted them out and sent them to the New York Times and were just kind of relentless about it for a couple of weeks and I think it was only a few months after she actually joined that they sort of quietly dismissed her. So that was one example and then um, there's also been a couple of times where I think conservatives sort of mockingly or sarcastically point out old tweets that leftists have that could be considered offensive Mm -hmm. such as in the case of Alexi McCammon who was sent over to Teen Vogue to Mm. be its new editor-in-chief. And then they actually successfully managed to get the woke mob to jump on those tweets and the woke mob started saying that Alexi Mm -hmm. McCammon, who I believe is half black, um, was a racist against Asian people and she ended up losing her job at Teen Vogue. So there's smaller instances of this happening and I think it's um, good evidence that if we're more intentional about it, that it can actually be a successful method.
0: Mm -hmm. And on that Alexi McCammon note, I, I wrote about that for the Daily Signal and one of the things that was so funny about that was the person who accused her of being a racist, was then exposed for writing racist tweets of the past, which kind of gets to my next point is, does this system sort of create an eye for an eye, makes the world blind mentality, where now all of a sudden, it's just sort of an arms race to cancel more people on both sides?
1: I mean, yes, it is sort of a tool of retaliation, but I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, when people are actively hurting you... And trying to make it so that you can't support yourself or your family or that you're not allowed to participate in society, then I don't think it's unjust or unreasonable to fight back Mm. and try to stand up for yourself. Um, One of the things that I tried to do in the aftermath of being fired from the radio station was I wanted to give people a call to action. What can you actually do to support people who are canceled? Well, you can tell the company who fired them that what they did was terrible. Mm. And I know for a fact that Cumulus received 100 times more communications in support of me than they did when I was fired. Mm. Which, hopefully, the next time someone goes through this at a Cumulus-owned station, the executives are going to think twice before trying to take the easy way out Mm. and just fire somebody who is accused of the woke mob of of being racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever the allegation may be. And then also, um, we need to stop uh, funding and supporting the places that do this. Um, The Daily Wire, I think, has done a great job, and Daily Signal has done a great job, of trying to create alternative ecosystems for media and entertainment and ways that people can get this content that they so desire without giving their dollars to people who hate them.
0: Mm. Speaking of race and some of the leftist nonsense surrounding race, you've been talking a lot about the Rachel Richardson incident recently with BYU. Uh, they found no evidence that this particular black athlete had been yelled racial slurs at. It, it sort of feels like though the demand for hate crimes kind of outweighs the supply Why is it that the left continues to do this, even though it doesn't actually seem like there are hate crimes to cover?
1: Well, for them, it's about power, and more specifically, the power to silence. And you cannot hold a guilt trip over people about race or or sexuality or gender ideology Unless you can have these uh, purported incidents of these people being harmed, right? So they have to make sure that the classes that they claim are marginalized, there's some proof of them actually being marginalized. The left does a politics of hostage-taking and guilt-tripping. So they like to say that conservative politics are literally killing people. Right. And they point to uh, murders of trans people, which are uh, unfathomably low. Mm-hmm. Or they point to uh, police shootings of unarmed black men, which by a function of how many uh, you know black men police actually encounter because of crimes, they actually are killed at a lower rate than mm-hmm. white men. Mm-hmm. Um, the list goes on. But these individual anecdotes are ways to try to lord over the right's head, what you're doing is hurting us. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is hurting us, and so you have to stop. And most compassionate people will immediately respond, I don't want to hurt you.
0: Right.
1: Right? I don't, I don't want my politics to harm you. I'm trying to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And so if you accept their framework, if you accept the base logic of their ideas, then your first instinct is to stop right. whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's how really how they get people to sort of fall into their camp. And so going back to the hate crimes, um, the fabricated hate crimes is just another way for them to create these incidents that they can use to sort of guilt trip people into accepting their woke and progressive uh, political positions. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, it sort of seems like the left is cultivating this culture of victimhood, where your cachet comes from how much of a victim you are. And it reminds me of Andrew Breitbart's maxim that politics is downstream of culture. I guess my thought or my question for you is what are your thoughts on that maxim? And as somebody that writes about culture, where do you see American culture going? Do you see it going in a positive direction? Do you see pushback against this sort of victimhood mentality?
1: I think it's 100% true that politics is downstream from culture because over the past 20 years, we've really seen major non-political institutions become aggressively political. And it's not because the democratic party told them to do it. It's Mm -hmm. because a vocal minority of really aggressive activists um, actually infiltrated those institutions and started pushing culture in a certain direction and that uh, culture ended up trickling into our body politic Mm -hmm. into Congress and into the White House it wasn't the other way around Um, so Hollywood um, uh, higher education um, big tech Right. These major the media, these major institutions went far left, I think, before the squad ever existed Mm. or before those ideas ever existed in Congress. Um, And it's there's a couple of reasons for that. One of I think the reasons is that the people who go into these institutions were sort of indoctrinated through an education system that really pushed those kinds of values because they came from academia but then another reason is that, specifically in the corporate world, um, in terms of economics and bureaucracy, it's more efficient for people to all believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to control people if they all believe the same thing, and they don't want independent thinkers mm-hmm. because that makes them unpredictable sure. and therefore more difficult to, to work under you. Um, so yeah, I think that's 100% true, but I see good signs in the culture. I see conservatives for the first time really making an effort to create alternatives to a lot of the monopolistic institutions that control so much of our culture. I see conservatives getting better at boycotts, like with places like Disney or Netflix or some of these other entertainment industries. Um, and I I see conservatives using legislative power to push back against institutions that would culturally harm them. Um, that's not to say that we're like, on the verge of victory or anything. There's a long way to go, but I think there's good signs that conservatives, not even just conservatives, but just normal people who don't want politics in everything, every single facet of their life are really fed up with this mm-hmm. and are trying to find some other way to live their lives outside of the, this woke bubble that really encompasses so much of what we do in society.
0: As a final note, I want to address something that you wrote in The Spectator that I found very interesting, which was about trade schools versus college. And you wrote, it's reductionist and not very helpful to tell young people that college isn't ever worth their time. There does seem to be a very strong push, at least from the conservative movement, that college just isn't worth it. It's been taken over by the left. It's an indoctrination center for people. Like It's not actually useful anymore. What is your argument that that's maybe reduction? Yeah, so
1: I I mean, I speak from personal experience. Um, My father was a plumber his entire life. And really, by the time he was 45, 50 years old, his body was just decimated. Mm. Um, You know, he he had a lot of doctor visits and and medical issues and really just worked himself to death, basically. And so it it didn't make enough money to really justify it, right? Mm. And so I think... There just needs to be a little more nuance to the, the discussion. It's not um, the right solution for everybody to just go enter a trade school. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that simple. There's a lot of trade-offs that you have to consider when you're doing that. Not everybody's going to be like my dad, but it's a real possibility. And the statistics for workplace injury, death, um, depression, addiction, suicide are much higher in manual labor jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we just need to be realistic with young people about that. Not everybody should go to college, and for those people, trades might be a good option. For other people, college can be an important tool for them if they shop correctly so that they're not graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, Mm -hmm. um, so that they're going to a school that is not indoctrinating them or that they're intelligent enough and prepared enough to resist that indoctrination. And they're majoring in something that is actually going to bear a fruitful job with stability. So there's all different kinds of things that we need to weigh. And I just worry that when conservatives tell people college is a scam or don't go to college that we're kind of missing the fact that society still really incentivizes people to get college degrees. And we're kind of setting people up for failure if we tell all of our, uh, our, our um, offspring to not go to college, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that was Amber Athey, Washington editor at The Spectator, senior fellow at the Steamboat Institute, and host of the Unfit to Print podcast. Amber, very much appreciate your time. Thank you. And that'll do it for this episode of the Daily Signal podcast. Always enjoy talking about culture with some of the best and brightest in the movement. I always say politics is downstream of culture, so very important stuff. Anyway, if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Daily Signal Podcast on your podcast listening app of choice. We are on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever. And if you could, please leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help us get that word out to people. And again, share it with your friends and family if you like this episode. It's important to get the word out. That's all for today. We'll see you later for Headlines. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Doug Blair, and Samantha Rank. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.